people of God. What a privilege it is to sing with you all this morning. Can I get an amen? If you're guests with us, then it may be helpful for you to know that here at Eastside, we are on something of a journey through what is known as the Revised Common Lectionary. And if you're not familiar with the lectionary, it's a three-year cycle of readings from the Old and from the New Testaments. And this morning, our reading yet again comes from that oh-so-tricky-yet-wonderful final book in our Bibles, Revelation. And a shudder throughout the crowd came upon us. Our text this morning is actually one of the most wonderful and in some ways problematic passages in this complicated apocalyptic book. Because in it we experience God putting everything back together in its right place. We encounter God as a good parent to existence, simultaneously wiping every tear from our eyes while also removing all large bodies of water. So friends, without further introduction, as you're able, if you would please stand with me for our reading from Revelation chapter 21. We'll begin reading in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things. I will be their God. They will be my children. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Creator ever-eternally creating one. On this morning, God, as we've gathered in your name, I pray that you would do the work of new creation in us. I pray, God, that as I preach, these words might be your word for your people in this time. May you speak through them, and God, as necessary, speak in spite of me. And God, as I preach, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in this time would collectively be found right, good, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I love a good wedding. Even if my lovely spouse, Elizabeth, refuses to let me dance. 
I do, I love a good wedding. I love getting dressed up, making an event of it, the food, the cake, the venue. I love a good wedding. We had a place booked for our wedding reception, and then at the last minute, they canceled on us. I mean, who does that, right? People plan these things like a year in advance, and they canceled on us. But it ended up working out. There was a, this place called The Dome, and it was this indoor putt-putt place. And it was massive. And what they could do is turn the lights down, partition off part of the space so that you would actually have this lovely climate-controlled outdoor environment for your reception in the middle of July. And of course, the added benefit being the kids could go do mini-golf while the adults enjoy the party. It was brilliant. And I'm going to be honest, our reception was pretty awesome. When people did, they danced. People whom we did not normally see dancing danced. And it was a really good time, and it was an awesome party. Our family, our friends, all of the people who were the most important in our lives were with us. They were present. And it was good. It was really, really good. I do, I love a good wedding, and in fact, I used to sing at weddings. Now people just want me to officiate their weddings, but I used to sing at them, and it always brought me great anxiety because it's their wedding, right? And who wants to sing off-key at somebody's wedding? And they would always pick the songs. I wouldn't get to pick what I wanted to sing. From this moment, my dreams came true because of you, from this moment. Yep, I did that one. And I might have been a little off-key. Our text this morning is really fascinating because it's one that is regularly read at funerals. In fact, I've actually preached this text before at a funeral. But it's about a wedding. It's about the wedding of existence. It's about the cosmic unifying of reality. The writer of our passage tells us that heaven and earth unite. They merge. They become one. We are told that a renewed holy city, a new Jerusalem, descends from the realm of God into the realm of creation, into the realm of humanity. We are told that God comes to dwell with mortals. And that in that dwelling, God makes all things new. It's a pretty epic passage. It's befitting to be at the end of our Bibles. We're told that it will be like the greatest of wedding feasts. Now, in ancient Judaism, time and space were actually really important. Where you were and when you were mattered a great deal. And they had this ancient understanding around the temple. And before it was the temple, it was the tabernacle, a giant tent that became their church. They understood the tabernacle, then the temple, to be the place in which the divine would most potently dwell, where God would meet us, humanity. If you wanted to encounter God, go to the temple. The presence of divinity would meet in, in the space and in the time on Sabbath. Emmanuel, God with us in worship, in this special place, in these walls, these liturgies, this food that nourishes us. God would meet God's people in the temple. 
which was really, really beautiful, right? Until the temple was destroyed. Because if God meets us in the temple and the temple is gone, then where's God? So they rebuilt the temple, the second temple, seeking to find God. Time and space were really important. We believed God needed walls. God needed some structure, some architecture, some kind of human space within which to dwell. But I think this morning's reading begs the question, does God need walls? Does God need structure, architecture? We're told that God comes and dwells with mortals. And it's not to say that God can't or doesn't show up within the structures we create for God. I believe God most certainly does. But I'm not convinced God always needs them. Because God can show up where God so chooses. Amen? And what happens in our own lives when the structures within which we have contained God get destroyed? Those places where we once found God get taken away from us. What if there was a place where heaven and earth used to coexist for us, but they no longer seem to? Our reading this morning is about a God who chooses to be among us mortals. It's about a God who chooses not to be other, but instead to be with. It's a passage about a God who has no interest in being far off or removed from us, but who instead wants to come as near to us as possible. This morning's reading is that of a giant wedding, a wedding of God with God's creation. God makes God's home among mortals, a new Jerusalem, a holy city containing the holy temple, emerging from heaven, merging with earth. Our text this morning is about heaven merging with earth. It's about this cosmic duality becoming unified, becoming one. John has poetically and beautifully painted an image of the future world God will create. The world, which he says, will look very much so like a cosmic wedding party. A world in which the writer claims there will be no more tears. A world devoid of pain, of suffering, and of death. A world where heaven and earth are united in some new, beautiful way. Where God's kingdom is fully known. Where God's desires saturate everything. And here's the thing about God's will. Easter reveals to us that God hates death. God hates the existential separation caused by death. God is the creator and the author of life. God loves life, friends. And God wants God's children to live. Which is why, strangely enough, in John's vision of the new heavens and the new earth, he claims that the sea will be no more. Which, to the modern reader, at first glance, is kind of a strange thing to say, that the sea will be no more. But he does, John makes the claim that in God's future new world, after that decisive point has come, that moment in history in which the ancient Jewish theologians described as the restoration of all things, John says that when this occurs, there will be no more sea. John argues that a part of God's making the world new, of God's kingdom being fully present in our world, 
would entail a world without sea. Which seems strange at first glance, but in the ancient Jewish mind, you have to remember, they were not the Vikings. They were not a seafaring people. And much of the time in the Gospels, even in the book of Acts, the sea is often context for scary stuff, for storms, for wind, for waves, chaos. If you remember the very beginning of our Bibles, the Spirit hovers over the chaos and brings order. Most of the stories that include the sea, large bodies of water, also include storms and sailors and chaos. The sea represents chaos. It represents this giant question mark. It's unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. Maybe it's a bit of a metaphor for the uncertain nature of existence as we know it. You didn't know if the waters one day were going to be friendly or if they were going to swallow up your boat and all of its inhabitants. You didn't know if the water would deliver the fish that you need to survive. These ancient Jewish people, they had the story of Noah and the great flood in the backs of their minds. Or the story of when the Hebrew slaves were leaving Egypt and the Red Sea opens up and then crashes in on Pharaoh and his army. Or, of course, in the book of Daniel, Daniel receives a vision from God where he sees monsters coming up out of the sea. In the ancient Jewish imagination, the sea was a scary, unpredictable place that had a history. It came to represent chaos and evil and even at times divine judgment. The sea represented a paramount cause for mourning and suffering in the hearts of these ancient people. So often the sea represented death. And this is why in John, in Revelation 21, he describes God's new creation, God's new world, the future kingdom of God as one without the sea. He's proclaiming a word of comfort and hope to a broken people. John is reminding us, you and I, that in the end there will be a world without chaos, without evil, without suffering, without pain. A world without floods and hurricanes and tsunamis and drownings, sinking boats. A world in which the sorrow that you may presently be experiencing will be no more. That is John's point. John is getting at the reality that there will be a day in God's new world when there will no longer be unnatural disasters and the pain and the suffering that they cause in the hearts and lives of human beings will be replaced with comfort, with joy, and with eternal life. And that is good news, amen. And in the present, we live, friends, as though this is true. We practice resurrection. This Eastertide, this season, this liturgical reality is is wherein we practice and we live out this call to resurrection life now. Because he has risen. God has come. God has conquered and defeated the finality of death through Christ. And friends, remember, Jesus danced on the water. He controlled the storms. He had power over that which was the root of people's deepest fear.
spears. And Jesus doesn't destroy the sea or declare that it's evil. He simply commands it and he rightly orders it. And he shows us that God has power over it. Because, friends, the ocean's a good thing. Amen? But it has been tainted by chaos. Life is a good thing, but it has been tainted. This text declares a day when that tainting will be undone. And today, as we struggle with the current state of things, we are called to be God's presence, friends, to one another. We are called to comfort and to love one another in the midst of our pain and our sorrow. The Holy Spirit works through each and every one of us to be the presence to one another. It's part of what church is about. This structure, this, this architecture, this reality of you and of I, And when we gather together as the church, we are embracing and we are pulling God's future world into the present. We are to become the resurrection presence of the Christ to one another here on earth. We are called to work as God's ambassadors to help calm the chaotic waters out there in the world. We're tasked to be the very comfort of God to one another in the midst of our pain. And we get to be the promise of God to one another and to remind one another that in God's future, the sea will do no harm. Here's the thing, friends. I love the ocean. We're heading to the beach next week. This world that God has made is good, but we are called to wrestle with the parts of it that are bad. In the present, we are called to practice resurrection, to participate in the merging of heaven and of earth. We are called to be the presence of the divine among humanity. We are called to allow the Christ to flow in us and through us into this world. We are called to drag the kingdom of God from the future into the present. We do this when we bring justice into the world when we create art, when we plant a flower, when we love our spouse, when we teach a kid how to read, when we support a refugee, when we love our next door neighbor, when we forgive an enemy, when we sing a song, when we dance at a wedding reception, celebrating humanity with the humans within our vicinity. Friends, this text proclaims that the temple of God is all of creation. God can be found everywhere. And yes, even here, in these old walls of a church building, God can be found. And God can be found at work among us mere mortals making everything new. So this morning, will you join God in that work? We are called to drag resurrection future into the now. May we do that together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And everyone said, Amen.